and welcome to We Are History, the serious academic podcast that's recommended by historians around the world. Oh shit, I think I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I'm John O'Farrell and that potty mouth accomplice was Angela Barnes. <laughs> You know what I say to people who call me potty mouth, John? What? Get fucked. There we are. Look at that. We've opened it. Listen, this is a new territory for me. I'm usually really well behaved on this podcast. When I load this up, I have to do a box explicit or non-explicit. I'm going to have to put the little E for explicit on this one now. (laughs) We're only 10. We're only one minute in. (laughs) Not Uh, even that. Oh, God. Take the girl out of Kent. (laughs) That's the Anglo-Saxon pronunciation. Um, (laughs) We are doing this down the line. We're doing it remotely. Uh, yeah. We're 70 miles apart, whatever the distance is. Angela sends me a little invite. Today it said Zoom. She had about 10 O's and I thought of Fat Larry's <laughs> band. Oh, yeah. I, do you know, I said that to some writers I was working with on News Quiz, but they were all under 30 and they just looked blankly at me and I was like, oh, never mind. That's, That's all happen. my jokes these days. It's all my jokes. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about today, Angela? It's a bit of a hefty one, so we're going to have a whiz through it. Yeah. And we're talking about the Kim dynasty of North Korea. Absolutely. Kim Il-sung, mainly. Yes. Those, yeah, those crazy North Koreans. Those crazy um, North Koreans. God <laughs> love them. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna leave with Kim Il-sung and do a, and skip over the Kim 2 and Kim 3, because the sequels are never as good, are they? That's right, yeah. Uh, uh, I think it's quite because obviously their recent history, Kim oh god, I get so mixed up now. Kim Jong il and Kim Jong un. Yeah. People sort of I certainly didn't know much about the beginning of the Kim dynasty and how it came about and stuff until we were reading about it for this. So it's really interesting, actually. Well, the book I read was uh, North Korea, State of Paranoia by Paul French. Uh, It's a hefty old tome, but very good. And I also, both of us, I think, read the Nothing to Envy book. Uh, Is that Barbara Demick? Barbara Kenick, is it? Demick, I think, Demick, that's right. It's excellent. That's a great book. book. Really recommend that. Yeah, we read that a while ago. So uh, that's really about life in North Korea, isn't it? That uh, nothing to envy one. This one, we're going to yeah. try and talk about the, um, the the regime and how it came about. And really what you've got here is a sort of lab experiment for two systems. You take one peninsula, you subject one half to Stalinist communism that evolves into its own sort of um, unique Marxist-Leninist Confucian philosophy. And the southern half you expose to American global capitalism and uh, after 70 years, have a look and see what you've got. And <laughs> very, very different societies indeed. So yeah, I think it's really interesting from that point of view. Yeah, it is. And and the only communist dynastic sort yeah. of yeah. in the North. That, I mean, that in itself is pretty... Because um, dynasties are always condemned as being imperialist nonsense, weren't they? So for a communist state to then form a dynasty is quite a... Yes, this was something I learned more about reading the uh, Paul French book, that there is a tradition of hierarchies and uh, dynasties in Korea. And so they sort of merge the modern idea of Marxism with ancient Korean traditions. So within Korea, society is divided up into, I think it was 41 or 51 different categories and statuses. Mm. And they don't call each other comrade. They call each other according to whether they're superior or inferior, dependent on status. And it's perfectly sort of uh, within the tradition of the country that the genius father, Kim Il-sung, would give birth to the most perfect successor. Um, I say give birth. He probably does get credit for giving birth the way their propaganda (laughs) works. Um, So, yeah, it's not it's not um, it's it's a contradiction to us, but not to them, Mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Their form of philosophy. Yeah. Uh, that. So let's go back to the beginning. Sort of, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll chip in We're going back only as far as 1910 when the Japanese occupied the Korean Peninsula. That's a couple of years before uh, Kim Il-sung was born. Yeah. Uh, Kim Il-sung was born, weirdly, on the very day the Titanic sunk. Oh, that's uh, an omen in itself. <laughs> it's, it's not a good <laughs> omen. What else was in the papers, uh, Mum? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. So, yeah, so, so uh, Kim's family uh, fled to Manchuria because of the Japanese invasion. But then the Japanese invaded Manchuria in 1931. So a um, bit of a pattern emerging there, I think, Kim. <laughs> Following <laughs> Kim around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, his before, family actually... before the Japanese invaded, it, they, they'd been a lot of Chinese influence, wasn't it, in Korea? And then I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then Japan. You're trying so to go back 100. Been under. Uh, you know me. I like to. I just like to know where I'm at. 
we yeah, did. So so like how, did the, how did the peninsula form geologically, <laughs> Angela? <laughs> was it was it volcanic be activity? Listening, thinking, thank God Angela's here because I want to know what happened before the Japanese invaded. I want to know what the situation was yeah. then. Primitive life so it was forms. So the Sino-Japanese <laughs> War, right, in the late nineteenth yeah, well, century, that meant Japan then. Sort of had well, actually, the, there was a Russian-Japanese war, which is what gave the Japanese the idea of taking it over, I think. So that was after right. Russia and Japan, 1905. I'm sure there's been Japanese-Chinese wars before this. I don't know is the honest answer. I'm sure <laughs> I do. I've read the book. 1894, yeah. Sino-Japanese oh, uh, War. Uh, thank you. Okay. Very good. <laughs> they were busy over there, weren't they? They were. They liked a war. Japan and Russia had debated dividing Korea up between them exactly along the 38th parallel, which is what it ended up being divided along by the Americans, you know, after the Second World War. So back, way back 50 years earlier or more, they'd actually discussed that possibility, but that's not right. so well known in Korea. But anyway, uh, Kim's family were Christians, actually. There was quite a lot of Presbyterians in Korea as a result of American missionary work. But that was a sort of way of rebelling against the Japanese uh, and a way of resisting. And I think it's worth saying, like the Japanese, they, you know, when they occupied, they tried to get rid of any Korean culture or language or they forced them all to have Japanese surnames, didn't they? Like they were a proper Absolutely. invading, occupying force. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then during the war, the Koreans had a terrible time. Um, mm. Hundreds of thousands of women were taken to be so-called comfort women, which was basically to be raped on a daily basis by Japanese soldiers. Hundreds of thousands of um, slave workers for the Japanese war effort. So Korea had, had a pretty uh, tough time of it in the Japanese occupation. And, and Roosevelt and Stalin and Churchill agreed that after the war, any territory you know, aggressively conquered by Japan should return to its own people, so Manchuria and uh, the whole Japanese Pacific Empire and Korea included, was going to be liberated. Mm. But the Americans drop the Hiroshima bomb in Japan in August 1945. Russia thinks hmm, this war is going to be over pretty quickly. So they declare war on Japan that week. So before Nagasaki yep. is bombed, uh, America is at war with an ally, inverted commas, in Russia. And Russia is invading Korea from the north while the Americans are liberating from the south. You see the different language I use there? Invade, yeah, liberate. Invade and liberate. Very, yeah. very biased. Been indoctrinated. Uh, been indoctrinated so. by American <laughs> culture. Imperialism. It's, exactly. Exactly. I need to go to re-education classes in North you Korea. Do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the story was that Kim Il-jong was a heroic resistance leader. And the longer his regime went on, the more his exploits were built up. And if you know, so, Kim Il Jong, sort of before the war, had already started. Sorry, he sorry, a, Angela, it's Kim Il Sung. Sorry, I keep getting sorry, the one Kim, already. Kim Il Sung, Kim One, yeah. Kim One, Kim One, yeah, <laughs> Kim One. Um, he'd already been a loyal pro Soviet communist before the war, hadn't he? That's right, yeah. And, and, and I, uh, it just made me laugh in October 1926, you know, he founded the Down with Imperialism Union. Yeah, That's well, they, they th he, he was the one who came up with the catchiest name. So yeah. they just said, oh, it's got to be Kim's because it just rolls basically, off your tongue. Basically the Ron Seal Union. Yeah. <laughs> Down with imperialism. So what do you, got, what do you, what do you guys stand for? Well, it's, it's, a, it's vague, really. It's not really... <laughs> yeah, no, he was a very um, loyal communist and the Soviets sort of promoted him. And he spent nearly all of World War II in Manchuria or in the Soviet Union. Actually, more of it in the Soviet Union, I think. Um, just sort of waiting for action but not really uh, I think there's might have been one sort of bit of action he saw which you know according to later Korean propaganda single-handedly liberated Korea from the <laughs> Japanese um, yeah. he wasn't quite the heroic war leader that no no I mean there are people there are theories from in South Korea that he stole his identity off a fallen war hero and so that the oh. the Kim Il-sung that ruled Korea wasn't the original Kim Il-sung who had been the resistance leader but most historians think that's probably just bad propaganda. He, he probably was a man with some leadership qualities and a certain amount of charisma that he failed to pass on to his kids. In Kim Il-sung, that wasn't his given name, was it? He, was, he changed his name in 1935. Right, yes. Kim Il-sung Kim... means Kim become the son. Kim become the son. Can we get you dinner? <laughs> what are you, what are you, can I get you a drink, Kim become the son? <laughs> And the, uh, the creation of his cult starts pretty quickly after he's imposed by the Soviets as their leader of North Korea. So mm. North Korea, the, you know, the, the hope was that Korea would be one country. 
But with the, the Russians invading from the north, the Americans occupying the south and the Cold War getting colder, two US officers were told to define the US occupation zone. So Dean Rusk and Charles Bonesteel got out a National Geographic atlas and drew a line roughly along the 38th parallel right. uh, on the map. And they went, well, we, we'll, just, just you know, we'll just put this here just for there for time being. That's just for now. Uh, and, uh, 75 they, they didn't years come, later. <laughs> they didn't consult any Koreans. There were no experts contacted. They were in a bit of a hurry. Neither set of troops had got there yet. You know, the Russians were still coming south. The Americans were still coming north. They were keen to have Seoul, the capital, in the south. To their amazement, the Russians immediately agreed those lines. And then two societies under occupation of the two different sort of sides of the Cold War started to develop separately so you've got a situation quite similar to in germany i suppose post-war where it's just divvied up between the yeah, yeah. conquering forces yeah absolutely very similar and then they held separate elections in the two zones and the koreans you know some of the koreans start to be fearful their country would be divided in two and the occupying forces like why <laughs> would you think that what, what that's just two korea how is that gonna what Come north on. korea and south korea it's never gonna happen guys just uh, stop being so paranoid honestly you koreans it's a temporary line we <laughs> so yeah. It's just for now, right? Out. So um, Kim was presented to the Koreans by the Russians as their heroic war leader. They sort of went, right, we need this guy to be um, our puppet. He was very young, you know, he's like 30 or something. Yeah, they just put him on this pedestal and everyone's going, who's this guy? I've never heard of him. And he's going, this is your heroic war leader. He is, this, you know, he has become the son. Oh, and he is, yeah, yeah, this, <laughs> or Kevin, you know. I used to know him back at school. He wasn't like that at all. So, um, yeah, they're quite bemused, the Koreans, that have this heroic war leader. They had no idea what he'd done. I'm going to quote a bit from the uh, Paul French book, actually, because I think it's quite funny. He was an incomparable patriot, national hero, the ever-victorious, brilliant field commander with a will of iron, the greatest leader that our people have known for the last several thousand years, a man equipped with exceptional powers. <laughs> you know, if you just say it, somebody's, somebody's going to believe it. I'm convinced. <laughs> that's that's a, Okay, so he's our leader, if you say so. Suddenly, young Kim is in charge of North Korea as a, as a uh, vassal state of the Soviet Union, really, in the Cold War. But it was him who pushed for the uh, invasion of the South in 1950 that led to the Korean War, um, which was um, uh, a bit of a disaster. A very long, complex thing. I don't know if you want to go into that A little too bit, much, I think, Angela. is interesting. I think what's interesting is Stalin gave his support because they just sort of assumed that the US concentrated on Europe didn't they and just wouldn't really bother with yes. but of course the, the US so paranoid about communism at this time that they really underestimated Truman's determination yes. to stop it and he didn't want to risk you know this is yes. a neighbour of Japan China's just had their revolution he doesn't want to risk another neighbour of Japan going communist he got a lot of flack for china going red as uh, as they said mm. the, 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 the anti-communists were gaining uh, some traction in america as we did a whole podcast on the house of un-american activities you might remember yeah. um so he had to appear be, to be strong uh britain for some reason uh had also guaranteed the safety of south korea so we found ourselves dragged into it and so it was a united nations war in 1950 but it was a very drawn out and extensive war that involved united nations forces pushing the border all the way up almost to the chinese border and then the chinese troops in getting involved and then pushing them all the way back down to the south so until lots of people had died and the whole peninsula had been destroyed and they said okay let's put it let's go back to that line those two blokes drew on that atlas <laughs> And it was a complete stalemate, wasn't it? And yeah. I think what's really fascinating about it is that every, on the 27th of July every year, the North Koreans still celebrate it as the Fatherland Liberation War. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I just, that's amazing. Like in this country now, you can get cancelled for doing a joke on the internet. There, he gets celebrated every year and commemorated for a war he didn't win. He didn't win. Right. And that was an absolute disaster of the whole country. Complete uh, disaster and destruction. Yeah. yeah. But then he, he did that classic thing, didn't he, of going... He, he sort of reframed history. He's, he's yeah. quite, they do like rewriting a history book. Absolutely, they, yeah, yeah. He managed to convince the people that the US had invaded first. Yes. And apparently put, he put up... Because there's just destruction everywhere and the people are like, well, what was that for? Yeah. You know? And so he put up and commissioned these massive murals of US attack. Mm -hmm. all across the country so to, to make people yeah and there's museums that, and yeah museums yeah, and statues and, yeah and if you repeat a lie often enough you know eventually yes. that becomes the perceived truth it's still the most militarized border ever that the, the demilitarized zone as the americans 
the, the, there ain't no D in the DMZ. D in the DMZ. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. But, but you know, war uh, increased Kim's control and leverage and uh, the cult, really, of uh, Kim Il-sung grew and grew. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's yeah. very interesting. It well, grew, I, grew in the 50s and 60s to, to he ludicrous states. He did this, states. didn't he? Because I, I, he was a confirmed Stalinist, right? Yes. So when Stalin died in 1953 and Khrushchev took over, and Khrushchev yes. obviously immediately denounces Stalin yes, and begins and, the process of de-Stalinization in, and, and, in and, Russia. And deconstructing that particular cult. Yeah. 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 So this is a bit of a bummer for Kim Il-sung, isn't it? It's a yeah. bit like being a Michael Jackson fan all your life. And suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly the know, documentary comes goes, out. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah. And also, so his ties with Russia are weak now. Because yes. Because of his job coming in. And then Mao, his ties there are, are weak because Mao's pissed off that Kim claimed this victory in the Korean War and right. didn't bother mentioning that right. Mao had quite a big part in it and, you know, gave him loads of troops and support yeah. and all of that. And so to his people, he sort of had to develop this this cult. He needed to show that he wasn't to blame for the destruction that the war brought and also to sort of rally his people because suddenly he's losing the support from China yeah. and Russia. Also, he's an insane narcissist. I think we should. Oh, probably... that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, let's not underestimate that. I mean, so today the, the the Korean calendar is not the same as the rest of the world in terms of dates. It dates from the birth of Kim Il Sung. That's the sort of the, the year zero. He is now the eternal president of the fatherland, uh, and the cult of uh, Kim Il Sung sort of uh, involves you know, an hour after work every day, learning about you know their culture and their philosophy and their. Uh, what they can, how they can work harder for for their Kim dynasty. And this is their philosophy of juche. Juche, spelt juche. I thought it might be juche. Juche sounds better, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, just, I'd adapt to juche. Yeah, let's, let's just um, juche this country up a bit. <laughs> juche. It's spelled J-U-C-H-E. I think it's juche. This is a philosophy unique to North Korea. They under, They believe they have the superior political system that no other country has and every other country envies. It's a sort of Marxist-Leninist, nationalist Confucian mix around a, a sort of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. But it's basically whatever, whichever Kim who's in charge thinks is what well, they want it to be on any day. <laughs> when any critic or reformist hints at any sort of slight change, they can be called a revisionist and a traitor and be led away you know, in public to go to a horrible prison in the north. Have you seen the um, pictures of the Juche Tower? Yes, enormous thing in, by the it's river incredible. there. It's incredible. It's um, sort of quite brutalist looking. It's 560 feet, 25,550 granite blocks, one for every day of, of Kim Il-sung's yeah. lifetime uh, by day of completion. And the thing is, I, I like it. You, like, <laughs> you I mean, want one. I, I don't like what it stands for, obviously. But, but as I always an image. said, you know me, I like a bit of brutalism. Yeah, yeah. And a bit of and I always say I'm not a communist, but I do dig the look. And it's quite an impressive <laughs> What's well, so funny is, I mean, there's a, a, a whole tower to it, the whole country is run on it, and it's a whole um uh philosophy for a country, and yet it's the biggest load of nonsense of all time. It's like mm. if everyone in this country worshipped number wang and we all went uh, all hail number wang we we believe in number wang and number wang is our guiding philosophy it just it's just it doesn't make any sense it's uh crippled the country and caused enormous suffering over decades and decades and also it's just not adhered to is it this policy of complete self-sufficiency is it no they absolutely not a, you know they haven't got the means to be able to carry that out anyway. absolutely absolutely so i mean i'll just finish up on kim himself so kim controls yushe so he has the sort of uh, the whole sort of narrative as it were and only he has the wisdom you'd always get kim or sung doing uh, on the spot visits to factories and rural fields where they're growing maize or whatever and it would just say you should plant corn on the mountainside. See that mountain there? You should plant it there. And they go, okay. And then all the all the uh, soil <laughs> washes away and it's completely ruined because it's completely unsuitable for corn. But no one can argue with Kim. And so all these stupid things are done because he just turns up and on a whim goes, tell you what, you should you should put that there. And You should drink bleach, get rid of coronavirus. That's like Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he continued it with his son. When his son was born, Kim Jong-il, who he's preparing for leadership, he said that when he was born, it was under a double rainbow. Winter turned to spring as a swallow flew out of the mountain, splitting in two. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's, there's just no records for that at all. Mountain splitting in two. <laughs> if you look, the seismograph. Well, actually, he wasn't... Uh, Kim 
Jong Il. Like Kim Tu. Yeah. Kim Jong Il. Il, Il Song. Kim Il Song. Sorry. Born in Korea at all? Was he? No, he's born in Manchuria. Yeah. He was born in. No, he was born in Kim. No, I'm talking about Kim Tu. Oh, sorry. The legend is, and it's written in the North Korean history books, that he was born on Mount Hektu, under this double rainbow and all of this. Yeah. But he was actually born in Russia. That's right. Yeah, during the war. Because he was born before the war. I think for, or during the 41, war when yeah. they were in. Yeah. Yeah, when they were in uh, the Soviet Union. So, um, yeah. Yeah, all it's all, lies, it's all it? it's all lies, man. It's all lies. So um, there's one defector, one very senior defector we've had who defected in 1997, Huang Yang Yop. And um, he sort of gave the lowdown of what it's like inside the Kim sort of dynasty. Anyone who rebels or anyone who's judged to humiliate the leadership is taken away and secretly shot. And he said the entire country is a massive prison. There are terrible prison camps, uh, very cruel prison camps all over the country. Very little known about them because people don't often survive and come out. There's some drawings of them actually in that uh, Barbara Demick book, Nothing to Envy. They sound pretty horrific. Um, but the, as you say, the Juche philosophy is um, was sort of needed by North Korea because they had to move away from, from both Russia and China. You know, Mao had his cultural revolution. Uh, Stalin, as you say, was uh, denounced. And they were having to sort of try and pick that tricky path as China and Russia fell out. They said, which side are you on? And he said, Kim said, I'm on the side of socialism. Right. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That's a, Do you know yeah. in um, 1956, Mao and Khrushchev did attempt a coup? In, um, in Korea? In North Korea. But um, Kim Il-sung got wind of it oh. and he purged anyone that he deemed close to them. And uh, it never happened. But oh. they planned a coup in 1956. Oh, I didn't know that. Together, yeah, they worked together on go. that. I don't know how I missed that on that book, because I thought, I thought I read it fairly carefully. But um, yeah. um, I think it's worth saying as well, before we, we stop for a break, because we'll come on to a bit more, won't we, about life in yes. North Korea in the next section. But one of the things I read that was quite interesting, one of the articles I read, was saying, well, you have to, you know, this sounds awful, obviously, for the North Koreans, but actually his rule wasn't much worse than they'd had under China or Japan. I suppose that's true, yes. In, They're pretty used to it. You know, yeah. they'd come from... When the Japanese had occupied in the early part of the 20th century, you know, all their farms had been requisitioned. They were forced into slave labour. Yeah. They were um, re-educated to see Japan as saviours. You know, this is all stuff they'd been through continuously for a couple of centuries. First with China, then with Japan. Right, right. So while we look at it, I suppose, in our Western way and go, oh, my God, these poor people suddenly... For them, life probably didn't change an awful lot. Yes, although I suppose the thing is now North Koreans occasionally get a glimpse of South Koreans, mm. you know, in, at the coverage of the Olympics or the World Cup or whatever, and see these yeah. um, well-fed, well-clothed people who look a bit like them. Uh, but average, I mean, the, av the average um, North Korean today is two inches shorter than the average South Korean. They've been so undernourished yeah. and so, uh, so deprived. Should we take a little... Yeah, we'll take a little break uh, and um, we'll talk... Yeah. Uh, well, Kim, just, I mean, just a, Kim Il-sung, the first Kim, died in 1994. Massive public mourning. If you didn't cry enough, you were a traitor and arrested. But um, the preparation had been done for a successor, Kim too. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the next Kim, but life in North Korea when we come back after this uh, re-education on Juche philosophy. <laughs> Lovely. See you after the break. The 2024 general election will make history, not least because it's the first one a Prime Minister looks like he's actively trying to lose. Stay on top of the vote and cut through the nonsense with Oh God, What Now? The original No Bullshit Politics podcast. With me, Dorian Linsky, plus top journalists, comedians and commentators. Twice a week, we follow Richie Sunak's doom spiral, keep a critical eye on Keir Starmer's progress, look at the big issues that will shape the vote and have a desperately needed laugh as well. We're proudly independent, so we don't have to stick to fake balance or give a weak both sides take on any issue. We can call it all as we see it, and we can swear too. So if you're looking for election coverage that captures how people really feel, try Oh God, What Now? High quality analysis, brilliant conversation and jokes twice a week, with extra special editions in the run up to the election too. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. Welcome back to part two of We Are History. We're talking about North Korea. Angela's laughing because she saw on Zoom, she saw my tea cosy. I am sorry, you just, you just 
casually without it just poured yourself a cup of tea on the zoom with the biggest tea cozy i've ever seen on a teapot and i just thought oh my god i'm recording a podcast with wallace from wallace and gromit That's- cracking tea cozy gromit <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Sorry. no at an american here american students we had staying with us for a week and she said i've never actually seen a real tea cozy before <laughs> But you know, the only person left on the planet who uses one, John. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a fifty-minute podcast. I need to have my tea. You know, no one has tea cozies in North Korea. I'm sure that life is such that they such, are a very capitalist, imperialist. <laughs> such luxuries are not known. If you look at the satellite photo of the Korean Peninsula at night, you will see that the southern half is all lit up uh, with street lights and car lights and lights from homes, and North Korea is all in darkness. Um, and it's a very powerful image of the difference between the two halves of this peninsula. I remember talking to a friend once, we were just chatting about North Korea, and he said, but what if, what if it's like Disneyland back there and they're just... They're just pretending well. <laughs> you know, is, there, is there a small chance that it is a utopia? They did, <laughs> build, they did build a utopian <laughs> village on the border for people to look out, but it was like the Truman Show or something. It was all... Um, they had, they, it was all fake facades. They had, yeah, they had, they had, it was all just boxes and they had lights coming on. Yeah. Look at our electric lights and look at our uh, clean windows. And they had just caretakers cleaning this sort of model village up on the border. And it was all just for propaganda's sake. But the rest of the country behind that model village is not as nice. People living in yeah. terrible poverty. There's no phones. There's no internet. If you look on the ACAST website for listeners for We Are History, none in North Korea. Zero. <laughs> zero. Zilch. That we're going to try and fix that with this podcast. Oh, bastards. <laughs> we're, we're hoping that by doing a program about them, they might start listening to our podcast. But <laughs> North Korea's joint bottom of the World Corruption Index. There is such a thing. Mm. Britain and the England and the UK in the top 10, I saw, which is pretty good. Really? Yeah, I think we probably uh, bribed someone for that spot. Yeah, when, when was that decided? <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. We slipped someone <laughs> Do it again right now. We slipped someone a few quid. We slipped someone a few quid. Denmark, Denmark and Finland were at the top, but I think we were just in there in there at number 10. Terrible poverty in North Korea. The cities, the co- everyone lives in cold, drafty tower blocks that were thrown up after the Korean War. No heating, very sporadic electricity. The lifts are broken. If you're an old person... Well, you know, they say in the 60s when these buildings went up and when, you know, that actually the North Korea had a better standard of living than the South in some Absolutely. That, that's what's interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, Kim the first, he did do those things of building schools and building infrastructure and all of that in the 60s after the Korean War. But. Of course, it's maintaining those things and then growing that, you know, things just have changed the economy. since the 60s. And, yes. And, and everything's gone into decline. And Absolutely. So, so, so this is worth saying that uh, in, in the mid 60s, when North Korea were coming to the football team, were coming to England and playing in the World Cup and I think beating Italy up in Middlesbrough, they were an example of socialist success. Their country had a higher standard of living than the South. Based basically on A, the enormous national effort made by the people uh, after that war, uh, Russian subsidies and the fact that South Korea is, you know, was still very much recovering as well and didn't have the same sort of massive input of money. But over the decades, yeah. the situation has become completely reversed. Um, and now um, people in the South are very prosperous. You know, it's a capitalist society with victims like any other capitalist society. But the average standard of living in the South is, of course, much, much higher than the North. Um, in the countryside, you are forced into collective farms. You're allowed to tend a very small patch of land for yourself but people are hungry you know they have a two meals a day policy let's all let's eat two meals a day yeah that was brought in wasn't it when they started to realize their food shortages yeah they uh, yeah announced the policy i think going back to the sort of mid-60s yeah so, yeah you know we, we still got kim the first um where you lived very much depended didn't it on your place in the what they called the song bun system and i find that really fascinating explain the song that bun system is like a a caste system, yeah. if you like. And there were three sort of main groups. You were either in the core group. Loyal. Um, the loyal group, yeah. yeah. Or the wavering group okay. in the middle. Or the hostile group. And they say roughly 55% of Korean, North Koreans were in the wavering group. Wow. And about 22% or something in the hostile group and the rest in the core group. You could only be a government official if you were in a core group, right. obviously, if you were completely loyal. Right. And the secret police would reevaluate every citizen every two years. Wow. So from the age of 17 
you would be reevaluated in your loyalty wow. to and and what's also have you heard about the um the self criticism sessions uh, yes tell us about that this is this i find this so fascinating so this is a thing that was developed the self criticism sessions uh where there would be group sessions in your town in your local community where you would get together and you had to admit your failings sometimes so sometimes would, i care so it's like too confession much confession almost yes exactly maybe i just work too hard i'm just a perfectionist i that's that's my biggest um but they were encouraged to also report failings in other people around oh god okay well you know mrs kim over the road hasn't washed her curtains for three weeks or you know whatever recycling bins exactly so what the idea was this was disguised as a national pride you know we all come together we talk about oh god imagine it but what it actually was, was um, a, a sort of way of breaking down your population, right? By, by yeah. just making them feel so bad about themselves that conforming to the ideology was their only salvation. It's like classic cult move. Yeah, yeah. You know, of just breaking down the population to feeling so worthless and used, and being so afraid of each other. Absolutely. What, what, by doing these self-criticism sessions, what you've done is you've got an entire nation spying on each absolutely. other. Absolutely, which is a bit like what we had in East Germany when we were doing that podcast. Everyone's yeah. an informer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, um, yes, you're, you're, everyone's superior or inferior according to their hierarchy. Everyone wears Kim badges, but you have different status of Kim badges, you know, and don't lose your Kim badge, otherwise you're really in trouble. Uh, and you have to wear it over your heart. That's right, yeah. Side yeah. Of your heart. yeah. Yeah, and um, and then, you, you know, you have these roving trucks broadcasting uh, propaganda slogans out from Tannoy's on the, on the roof, um, such as, everybody must take part in consolidating revolutionary sovereignty, which is... Catchy. It is, it's, it's, that's to the, uh, the jingle a tune of Quick Fit. <laughs> i really want you to try and do it john but you're not gonna it's, like, it. it's, like, it's like i'm sorry i haven't a clue yeah everybody must take part in consolidating revolutionary sovereignty <laughs> well done. what the the listeners can't see is your little dance your little quick fit dance that went with it yeah so yes and uh, uh there are no obviously no advertising hoardings you just have these slogans all over the walls and it, it was also laws you know to keep your radio on for 24 hours a day oh my god um, you were allowed to turn the volume down for a certain number of hours a day, right. but it had to be switched on 24 hours a day and it would be constantly pumping out, obviously, Kim Il-sung speeches and propaganda wow. and propaganda music and yeah, things. Yeah. And, yeah, you had to just keep it on. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of, one of the ways they, they increased productivity in the factories was to have the drink no soup movement because uh, soup, mm. soup makes you want to go to the toilet. So you'd take less wee breaks if you drank no soup. So stay at the factories by drinking no soup. So, yeah, it's very, very, very well done, everyone who took part in the drink no soup movement. It's a, a terrifying thought. Uh, just a quick word on the states of women. We touched on uh, North Korean women not being allowed to ride bicycles in our um, uh, Cycling Suffragettes podcast. We did. Which I think was our inspiration, actually, for that. Yeah, yeah, because I... I read nothing to envy i think yes and, and that passage had sort of leapt out on yeah. me yeah so they um, so the women in trousers were denounced on bicycles mm. yeah. and as late in 1999 like yeah. that late as well but it's an interesting part of the communist ideology i think this because they're all you know same in east germany same in the ussr it, it, part of the philosophy was that women were equal comrades right that, yes yes that they were able to fight they were able to take part in the struggle they were yeah. able to do all these things however it, it's completely not feminist because no. they're in a society utterly run by men uh, and like, and they're still expected 100% to run by men and do all the domestic work and they're supposed to work in the factories and, and raise the children and raise the children and, and all that yeah exactly so yeah really difficult time for women in this supposedly feminist society or supposedly equal society yes i mean kim 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 himself picks out the ladies who direct the traffic for their beauty and uh kim il-sung had a uh uh sort of harem personal harem the the joy division as it's called that's not Mm. that was kim jong-il kim jong-il joy division Division. yeah that's not 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 having um (laughs) You know, his own little Ian Curtis lookalike singing depressing songs. That's the original meaning of Joy Division, the, uh, mm. which is a sort of a, 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 har- a personal harm. Would, what's very disturbing about that is he would go to schools and handpick oh, girls from school. It's like Jeffrey Epstein. Who would then go on to be in his harem. Yeah. 
hotel room. It's yeah. really gross. It's really yeah. And he would have these because Kim Jong Il, the second Kim, yep. father of current Kim, yep. was a raging alcoholic yes. and a party animal. You know. Yeah. Um, and would have these lavish parties, and he would have these young girls basically at these parties, and he would. Um, force them to undress at these parties and then get party officials to dance with them, but they weren't allowed to touch them. Okay. And that, that was a way for him to assert his power to the party officials. Okay. Like, look, this is what I can have and you can't have it. These poor, poor girls just yeah, completely absolutely. Absolutely. humiliated and... It's really dark. And, the, and the, the way that you behave and the, your expression is policed. You know, if you are mm-hmm. and, uh, insufficiently joyful in the presence of Kim, then you can be punished mm-hmm. and judged to uh, be disloyal. So there's no way in, in North Korea to just keep your head down and get on with it. There's no such thing as like, okay, I'm living in this mad regime, but if I can just get through it and stick with my family and feed them, I'll be all right. Because you have to openly worship the regime you have to you know have to go to these uh uh community sessions uh the political ideology learning sessions the tenants is supposedly compulsory um you know and if when kim died if you weren't you know weeping sufficiently you could be arrested and led away so and if you don't... and also there's it, it's so arbitrary on how the kims are feeling that day there's yeah. a story so while kim il sung was still alive in the 70s i think it it was the rumor was rife that that Kim Jong-il was being primed to succeed. Yes. But Kim Jong-il himself would never speak of that succession or talk about it because it would mean acknowledging the death of his father, that that his father's not immortal. So although the whispers were that he was being prepared for succession, he would never mention it. And one uh, party official, quite high up party official, tried to flatter him one day by saying he would make a good successor because he's, you know... And Kim... Uh, Jong Il took out his pistol and shot him in the head God. because he'd mentioned. Wow, it's like a sort of Mexican drug cartel or something. It's like Ozark it's or something. Just, uh, yeah, it's absolute. <laughs> yeah, madness and and just so you couldn't win really. You couldn't, you know. Yeah. It was just all on a whim of how they interpreted what, what, what you did on a day to day. What mood they were in. So this 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 yeah. is this regime, of course, without any criticism or suggestion of reform allowed, gradually, um, or perhaps not so gradually in the 70s and 80s sort of uh, declined uh there was the failure of the collectivized farms there was uh, no fuel for tractors and fertilizers and they couldn't afford to import anything and so mass starvation was looming and by the 1990s there was a genuine famine uh, ravaging north korea what had happened there i think obviously communism was falling in europe so you had you know chichescu yeah. happened you had all over europe these small revolutions happening and then finally the fall of the Soviet Union, suddenly they lost a, their, one of their main trade partners, yeah. partners and all their aid. Yeah, they'd had subsidised fuel and lots of assistance from the Soviet Union and Gorbachev had other things on his mind and then lost, lost yeah. power. So that support was taken away and suddenly a terrible famine was ravaging North Korea, maybe two million people died, but aid agencies turning up to help out and bring aid were confronted with people terrified of admitting there was anything wrong with the system so they were presenting them with the best fed children and going, no, our society is the best in the world. Um, and uh, you have come to give us uh, reparations for the Japanese invasion. And this is what this well, is. That's yeah. it. They, when they were given rice by the yeah. Japanese, they told the people that it was in atonement. Yes. For, for what happened had come before. 50 years earlier. Before and beforehand. Yeah. Before the famine really set in even, like after that fall of, yeah. the Soviet Union. Their way to sort of deal with that was to really ramp up the military. Yes. So I think around that time, Kim Il-sung appointed Kim Jong-il as Supreme Commander of the military. Yeah. Um, because they'd lost their military ally yeah. in the USSR. Self-reliance to them meant self-defence. They started conscripting 17 to 25-year-olds. You had to do 11 years service if you were a man, seven if you were a woman. It's insane. One in three North Koreans were a member of the army or the reserves. Yep. Third of GDP spent on defence. It's no wonder. Um, I used to do a joke in my set yep. about, um, do you remember when uh, there was that, used to be adverts put on the telly, uniform dating. Oh, no. The sort of dating service oh, right. for people the who services. wore uniforms. Right. And it was called uniform dating. And I said, or oh, as it's known in North Korea, just dating. Yes. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it was classic deflection, wasn't it? Because they, again, they, they and they used this narrative in the early 90s that the US were primed to invade at any given moment. Yep. Um, you know, and, and that classic thing, and of course it's something that could never happen in this country, John, is to um, sort of deflect away from your domestic issues by yes. going... They're coming for us. We've got, yeah. and, you know, and, be, look at them out there, yeah. not us. And in, and in their narrative, they are free and South Korea is the client state of the United States. You know, they are the South Koreans are occupied by the Americans and are not free. Uh, this is the, mm. this is the, the, the line they spill. And in 1991, the other government officials actually planned to assassinate the Kims. Did you read yes, that? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, but it failed because obviously, you know, people told them yes. that it was happening. Seven of the conspirators were executed. One of them managed to get away to South Korea. I mean, even when one of his bodyguards was caught smoking his favourite cigarettes, Kim had him sent to work in the coal mines where the miners, the loyal miners, stoned this former bodyguard to death. And then Kim heard about this. And so he had all the miners killed. So it is like Kim one, Kim one or two, I think this might be. Um, no, that was, yes, Kim, I suppose it was Kim cigarettes. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Kim too waited three years before becoming the general secretary of the Korean Workers' Party. You know, he had to do the suitable period of mourning. His father was made president for eternity. So, uh, so we should say Kim one died in 1994. Four. So when the famine was ravaging, he saw his country go from riches to rags, basically. He managed to steer it from a successful model, you know, Soviet puppet state to a desperate, starving, rundown, failed state, really, by the time he died. And that's when Kim Kim Jong-il took over, uh, gradually asserting his, uh, the cult of that, of Kim too. I'm Rob Hutton, and I grew up watching war movies with my dad, but my kids just don't get it. So I had to find someone to watch them with me. And that's me, Duncan Weldon, and I do get it. So I was only too happy to join Rob and guests such as Al Murray, Helen Lewis and Satin Sangara as we rewatch the greatest war movies of all time. So join us on War Movie Theatre to talk about classics from Where Eagles Dare to Zulu to The Sound of Music. That's War Movie Theatre, wherever you get your podcasts. In 1995, that was quite a big thing, wasn't it, for Kim Jong-il? Him too. I think it was a big, big, big thing oh. to become leader. Oh, not that. No, sorry. It was a big thing for him to. He requested help because of the famine. Yeah. International aid, and that was a huge deal yeah. for him to actually request international aid. And like you said, the, I mean, they would hide the corpses from the NGO workers, and NGO workers were only allowed to give food directly to party officials. And fears it was going to know. the army, of course. Mm. Uh, and it's not, you know, brand. When you're going around collecting money, it's not like money for North Korea. People aren't going to be filling your little collection boxes. So yeah. that was a, you know, and he still was on a propaganda offensive. He paid for a full page ad in the New York Times, which described Kim as the lodestar of the 21st century. He has 1,200 titles, including Guardian Deity of the Planet, Guardian Deity of the Planet. Wow, which that's... is a, which is quite a bit powerful, isn't it? Really, to be that. Well, it's. I mean, they they still claim, don't they, that they don't deify the Kims in North Korea, but they clearly do. There they right. clearly is a spiritual element that they put to the people about. You know, the yeah. fact that they fake all their birthdays. So the first Kim was born in twenty twelve. Right. Uh, not twenty twelve. Sorry, nineteen twelve. Yes. And the two subsequent Kims. Their birth dates have been faked so that they were said to be born in 1942 and 1982. But actually they weren't. It's just they wanted that symmetry. That's weird, isn't it? Who cares? Because Kim Jong-un was born in, they think, 83 or 84, actually. But the official documents say 82, just so it has that. I mean, mean, they've gone back and put in whole um, bits of speeches. They've made up speeches that they put into the history books uh, that um, Kim made about uh, Juchet philosophy and they've taken out stuff where he was pro-Stalin. I have to say, as a society, it couldn't be much different to George Orwell's 1984 in terms of the double think and the rewriting history and the two-minute hate and the, mm. uh, the re-education and everyone informing on each other. You can read Nothing to Envy and you can read 1984. And there's not a lot to choose between them, really. No. One thing about no. the cult of Kim and the, all the Kims is the only thing that uh, this Paul French book sort of pointed out, which I thought was interesting, there's no uh, Trotsky figure. There's no baddie who's to blame for everything. The culture of the Kims is so dominant that uh, there's mm-hmm. no room for the sort of snowball in Animal Farm or the Goldstein in 1984. Yeah. Um, it's all about how great they are. And there's, there's no room for a, for a baddie because they just didn't ever allow anyone to get that far, I suppose. Uh, yeah. So Kim Il-sung... Uh, 
Great lover of Hollywood movies. He loves Rambo and James Bond. Uh, he had a South Korean actress kidnapped along with her director husband. So to make films for uh, propaganda purposes. Um, okay. so and and they, they'd been divorced. So they, were, they were a divorced couple and he forced them to remarry. Oh my God. And held a big wedding. And um, they eventually escaped. It took them eight years, but they did eventually escape. That'd be a good sitcom though. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah, he wrote a book, didn't he? Well, uh, I mean, this is part of. The, I love, I love all this stuff because you know, um, according to North Korean legend, yeah. uh, Kim Il Sung, great golfer. Oh yeah, uh, got eleven eleven holes in one uh, in one game, and then gave up golf forever. Well, you can't top so, it, can you? you? Can't prove he didn't. John. Well, I have to say, if Trump didn't. had access to this sort of power, he would talk like this, wouldn't he? Trump would say. Oh, of yeah. It's, it's, it's so who he wants to be. Narcissist. Yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. in fact, Trump met him. And Trump the... met him and said, uh, "said uh, the new one, Kim Jong Un." He said uh, he had a great personality and was very smart. So, I think yeah. Met... But we're talking like Kim Jong Il. Yes, I'm yes, the second about. one. Yeah. He. Um, it was also said that because he wrote a book called The Art of Film or something like that because right. he was obsessed with movies. Yeah. And had this huge collection of Western films, which of course no one else in North Korea was allowed to no. watch. It was also said that during his three years at university, John, yes. he managed to write 1,500 books. That's pretty good going, actually. Cause I've, um, like, written... Now, you can't look at them because they're all like in a box in the attic. Right, yeah. I'm just down. doing the spell check on them, so... You know, yeah. Um, so I would show you, John, yeah, but then... Yeah. I'll tell my... know, I'd have to move the other boxes. I'm going to tell, tell my publishers that. Oh, I've got loads of books I've written. Yeah. I will get them to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he composed <laughs> uh, he composed six operas, and he apparently uh, he considered himself an expert on the internet, which in North Korea probably meant he had the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's seen. Didn't he also invent the hamburger? Wasn't that another? Oh, really? Quite possibly. Sure, I read that somewhere um, that he invented the hamburger. Um, but yeah, so so he died in two thousand and eleven, and a huge yeah. snowstorm paused over Sacred Mount Peak Two. <laughs> the sky glowed red, and why are you laughing? This is very sad. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm weeping. Oh, yes. I'm weeping. If you're not There's weeping any... sufficiently, you'll be led away to a prison camp. Yeah, a sky glowed red and the ice on the lake cracked so loud it seemed to shake the heaven and earth. And that is true. Yes. Um, and so now we've got Kim Jong-un. Um, yes, we have. So he, yeah. Who, interestingly, very much bases his look. I was reading about this just this morning um, on the first Kim because he, although obviously venerates his father and worships his yeah. father, Kim Jong-un, he knew his grandfather was the one that people yes. more than Well, I mean, the, the original Kim was a, at least was in the resistance. He had some sort of, you know. Yeah, um, and they still, you know, have some respect for him. Yeah. So that's why Kim Jong-un has that look. Right. Oh, it's, the haircut. The, 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 the trying haircut. to emulate, yeah, not, the, the look of his grandfather. Well, he's, it's not a great haircut, if you don't mind me saying so. It sort of looks like a sofa belonged on his head, doesn't it? It's got a sort of short back and sides. <laughs> and then uh, he ordered all the men in Korea to copy his hairstyle. You know, the, yeah. I mean, all the all the hairstyles are prescribed in Korea. You have to have one of a certain number of hairstyles. You can't just, you know, choose That's, how you have yeah, it done. Absolutely. And he has, uh, you know, uh, alienated the rest of the world with his nuclear program and his increased spending on the military and firing off of missiles that go crashing into the sea and scare the rest of us. Not to scare mention... Scare Japan, particularly. Scare Japan. <laughs> Sail over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we all remember his uncle being um, arrested in the middle of that Politburo meeting. Very public um, mm. arresting of his uncle, who, you know, in some power They tend to disappear quite frequently, don't they? Yes. Sort of members of the Kim family. Absolutely. And, um, you know, no one really knows what happens to them. But looking at Kim Jong-un, I'm pretty sure he eats them. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's his lunch. Um, they were getting his lunch. It's like, yeah. And his exiled half-brother was executed with a nerve agent in Kuala Lumpur Airport, mm. if you remember that. Well, he's He's quite... That's old King Jong Nam. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. So he was the first son of Kim Jong Il. Yeah. His mother was an actress that he had an affair. It was like his first concubine. Yeah. There's the Disneyland stories. In 2001, he was arrested in Japan at the airport with a fake... He had a fake Dominican passport. Right. And he claimed to be, I think, from Hong Kong or something. But and they asked why he was there when they realised who he was, and he said, "Because I want to go to Disneyland." Okay. And at that point, his father really disowned him. Right. I mean, he was never being set up to be leader, but at that point, his father was like, "Yeah, wow. Well, wow. So that's um, so that's where North Korea is now. The uh, sort of last relic of the Cold War, probable, you know, most likely flashpoint for 
another war because the maverick mm-hmm. nuclear power with the madman in you know charge and who cannot be criticized we think we've only just touched on it really yeah there's so much more isn't yeah. there and that, that nothing to envy is the book i really recommend yeah. to get a real sense of yeah yeah, by Barbara like Barbara that. Demick. That senior defector said the only way for it to end is for a total blockade, uh, except food aid, because there has to be such a gulf between the north and the south that the people rise up. And then how that happens, I don't know. But perhaps if they, you know, they start to get phones and they start to talk to people uh, in the south, then maybe that will happen. I mean, what's interesting, because obviously, you know, people do go to North Korea, but it's very curated. Yes. Visit North Korea. You're given a guide and you're only allowed to go to certain places. And um, and I think what's interesting is it's not so much to stop you seeing them, it's to stop them seeing you. Right. They get a sniff of how Prosperous the rest of the world is living and what prosperity can mean. Yes. Because you know, it's quite easy to keep a, a population subjugated if they don't know that there's another option. Yeah, exactly. So as far as they're told, uh, concerned, they are in the most successful society in the world. But Kim, yeah. uh, Kim, Kim's fashion sense is inspiring men all around the world, is one of the things they told us, uh, that yeah. uh, the rest of the world looks to Korea uh, with great envy and uh, wishes that we were more like them and understood their juche philosophy and could follow it. Fortunately, North Korean listeners, nothing could be further from the truth. If only you could hear us. If only. That's oh. that's our our light-hearted look. A light-hearted <laughs> whiz through the Kim dynasty. The Kim there. dynasty and the tragedy of North Korea. So don't ever say, oh, God, it's like 1984 in Britain now. Because if you just pause before you say that and think about the poor people of North Korea for whom it really is. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for all your nice comments on Twitter and your messages. Yes, we've had you. a nice, we've had a nice flurry of them. Reviews. Yeah, very nice to have the reviews on iTunes. If you could, that's that all would good. Yeah, very appreciated because that helps us get up the rankings a little bit. Yeah, we're uh, going to do a couple more episodes, then we're going to take a little break. Aren't a we, summer John? break. Yeah, um, we. Uh, yeah, I, I've got a book to write, and uh, John's always got a book to write, <laughs> and, and yeah. Um, we need to give up. It takes quite a bit of research to do. It does. Quite a bit of reading and yeah, sort of, yeah. and we love it, but yeah. we just need a couple yeah. of weeks off. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll be taking August off probably, but uh, keep listening, keep telling your friends, and we'll see you next time on We Are History. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.